Welcome, listeners, to a new episode of FF Plus, a supersized episode, if you will. This is your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, and Kales and myself, that's Aaron, we're here with five brand new films releasing this week to cover for you. Uh, it's going to be a blast, Kales. There are all sorts of movies in this group. <laughs> we got a little bit of everything. Yes, uh, one thing uh, I talked to you about was the variety of films we have. It's always great to just have a little bit of everything sprinkled in for one episode. Yeah, absolutely. If you're going to do a lot like this, if you're going to have four or five movies, they need to kind of have some difference to them. You know, you mm-hmm. don't want to do like five horror movies. That's <laughs> just kind of like weighs you down a little bit. But these are all over the place. And hopefully people will find at least one of these that interests them. That's kind of the goal, right? Is Maybe you'll find one of these that sparks your interest. Let's get into it without further ado. We are going to start with the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. This stars Tim Hill, Tom Kenny, Clancy Brown, Bill Figerback, Mr. Lawrence, Carolyn Lawrence, Roger Bumpus, and Aquafina. It is one of two animated films starring Aquafina that we're talking about this week randomly. Uh, <laughs> directed by Tim Hill, written by Tim Hill. Uh, Jonathan Eibel, Glenn Berger, and it is based on the TV series created by Steven Hillenburg, that being SpongeBob SquarePants. What's it about? Uh, This is the third movie in the SpongeBob movie trilogy, if it were, as you may call it. Uh, After SpongeBob's beloved pet snail Gary is snail-napped, he and Patrick embark on an epic adventure to the lost city of Atlantic City to bring Gary home. Oh man, I <laughs> just reading that I like kind of cringe a little bit, but that's not that's not what we're here for. So we start with the good things, Coles. And what did you like about this one? Well, if you were a kid in the late '90s, early 2000s, and you grew up glued to your episode when there was a new episode of SpongeBob SquarePants on after school, then this will feel right at home. It felt like an extended episode to me, and I love seeing the cast of characters again uh i haven't really i haven't recently watched spongebob as a tv show because i mean of course i've gotten older so you know i've kind of had my viewing choices go a little bit more adult but it was nice to just have that wacky weirdness and sense of surrealism as far as animation you know it was great to see sandy squidward patrick mr Krabs, and of course seeing plankton try to go for the secret Krabby patty recipe again it it, it, it just felt like a good ball in the to me but the thing that was impressive for me was the celebrity cameos believe it or not on paper having keanu reeves play a tumbleweed uh, is supposed to not work (laughs) no it's not like you take this to an executive a studio executive they would just pretty much kick you out of the building on your rear end but in this film it works he's amazing i mean it's keanu reeves for one and just his sense of timing his sense of humor and the way that the film uses him where he's not in there too much to clog up the scenery it's awesome. It's great. And then I love that we get Danny Trejo, who is somehow a ringleader of flesh-eating cowboy zombies. It's weird, but it works for me. And then you get Snoop Dogg coming in there and busting a rap and then leaving. I mean, it, it's phenomenal just how out of place some of the elements in this film are. But if you love SpongeBob, you just go with it and you just ride with the flow. And, you know, it's a film that if you want to take it seriously and be academic with it, I wouldn't try to do that. I mean, it's all about having fun. It's all about showing you the benefits of friendship, 
commitment, you know, just um, paying reverence to people who have been in your corner for a long time. And it's a whole it's a whole good of fun for the whole family, especially for kids. Oh, man, I agree. I agree. Like it is definitely a big ball of fun for the family. I think that is really the key thing you should take away, listeners, is if your kids have watched SpongeBob at all and enjoyed it, you're going to have fun watching this movie with them. If your kids are old enough to have watched SpongeBob and enjoyed it and also know who Keanu Reeves and Snoop Dogg and and these other cameos are, it's like going to hit a sweet spot. And for me, that's how my kids were. They were excited because of Keanu Reeves being in a tumbleweed bush. And I was extremely nervous about Keanu Reeves being in a tumbleweed bush. But like Colette said, I'm with you. Like, it randomly was perfect for him. I mean, he's a wise old sage and speaking in these prophetic ways in his monotone nature. And it just fits. Like, it's it just works. It does. And when Snoop Dogg shows up, like... Uh, that cameo for me was a highlight. I lost it completely. Like, what is going on right now? In fact, I say that quite a bit throughout this film. What is going on right now? The musical numbers altogether, for me, were a big highlight. I, I like musicals in general, and they do some fun nods here. Some Kenny G uh, things show up, and then there's a Titanic song occurrence that just had me dying i was in love with the way that it got implemented in this story and so i liked it i liked that a lot it was able to kind of keep me in it when the story itself was pretty silly and ridiculous i think that you're right the formula is there and obviously that formula of what these characters are trying to do that's how you make tv shows and that's how this tv show is based off of so it would makes sense to carry that over to the film i love there's one bit in here where spongebob actually gets to be a sponge and it was a highlight for me it's not very long but like i just i don't think we get enough of spongebob being an actual sponge <laughs> like like showing us what it's like if he was a sponge you know squeezing water out of it. anyway uh, i like that the the story itself is it's a fun little road trip it's crazy it's wacky it's about going on an adventure with your friends to save your pet. So for me, like I absolutely love that because I was thinking about my pets the whole time and it hits on some friendship stories between members of the crew that are, I think actually pretty sweet <laughs> once we get to that part. So I was pleasantly surprised overall uh, that I liked it and a, a little kind of embarrassed for myself honestly if i'm being you know straightforward but things that i didn't like you know i think number one the thing to say is really what you kind of touched on there and that is we could easily pick this apart and be like this is dumb this is dumb in fact my notes say it's dumb and then my next note says it's very dumb and it is dumb uh it is slow to get started, I think that once they hit the road, it becomes a lot more energetic and interesting. And while they're kind of taking their time getting to that point, it's a little hard to get into. And there are some sections, even though they result in like the sweetness of the friendship stories, the the film goes back to this, and I don't know what it's called. It's called crabby corral or something something like that it's a, it's a basically a spongebob when they were kids and in summer camp kind of 
show, a TV show that's a spinoff. And so they show that multiple times. It felt to me like it was trying to force feed that into the story kind of as a like, hey, we need to sell you on this new show that you should go watch. And it would make sense. I mean, this is Paramount Plus just launched today, March 4th. And launched, meaning it kind of rebranded itself and kind of put more content out there on top of what was CBS All Access. And this is like its first release date movie, uh, the new SpongeBob movie. And so they need you to like not only like this, but to go watch their new show that's only on Paramount Plus or whatever. Right. So that was kind of a little bit of a negative for me. But but yeah, ultimately, my dislikes are tied to me being an adult. It would be the same for me. Also, if anybody is coming in here expecting a straightforward children animation film, then you're you're going to get a, a different bargain than, than what you're asking for. It's all about if you're willing to submit to how illogical this film can be. And I'm not saying that in a bad way because I've seen SpongeBob for many years, so I already know what it was going to be like. But for someone who's not used to that kind of humor or who has never liked anything like SpongeBob, then yeah, this would be something that I would skip. But I don't really have any big, big dislikes. I mean, my nitpick maybe would be the character of King Poseidon. I mean, he I, it felt like he kind of is in there just to be a villain in name, but nof- he doesn't really do anything until, like, the end, and even that feels kind of forced. So it, that would be my only big complaint of this film. But otherwise, it's solid. So I'm going to say I'm feeling it, which is not what I expected to be saying, but I, I am feeling it. I think people should check it out. I think it's worth it if you have Paramount Plus, which personally I think is a pretty good value. We won't go into that on the podcast, but if you own this service, you owe it to yourself to spend. It's And also one last, I think, positive for this. We're talking like 90-minute, sub-90-minute film here. Like These are sweet spots. You, you need to get in, enjoy it, and get out, and it, and it allows you to do that. So feeling it for me. What about you? I am feeling it as well, especially if you are looking for a great Keanu Reeves cameo. This is it. Wow. Who would have thought? this? No one would have predicted this, Coles. And this is why we led with this <laughs> this movie. Uh, this is, as I mentioned, available streaming on Paramount Plus as of right now, effectively as of March 4th. Next up in the list is a movie called Boogie. It's about basketball, and it stars Taylor Takahashi. Taylor Page, Pamela Chi, Jorge Lindeberg Jr., and the late Bashar Popsmoke Jackson. It is directed and written by Eddie Huang. This is his directorial debut. You may know him from his previous TV show uh, based on a memoir, I believe, called Fresh Off the Boat. I didn't watch it, but I know that quite a few people um, were big on Eddie because of that show. What's this movie about? It is a coming-of-age story of Alfred Boogie Chin, a basketball phenom living in Queens, New York, who dreams of one day playing in the NBA. While his parents pressure him to focus on earning a scholarship to an elite college, Boogie must find a way to navigate a new girlfriend, high school, on-court rivals, and the burden of expectation. I'm going to get us started with this one and tell you I enjoyed this in a weird way. I didn't hate this. It's so the things that I liked about this are basically its concept. Uh, the fact that we have an Asian American story about basketball. Uh, this is a sport that has been very difficult for Asian Americans to break into. Uh, if you follow the NBA, you know, Lynn Sanity, 
Um, you understand how incredible it was when Jeremy Lin burst on the scene coming out of Harvard and just taking the NBA by storm for a little while. But that has not really resulted in an influx of Asian American players in any way, shape, or form. And so usually when we talk about basketball stories, it's going to be white kids who are at this point are like underdogs usually when it comes to the basketball game or black kids, which are more frequently those who are going to be playing this sport in the NBA. Uh, so I liked that. I really liked how we got to look at Asian American culture uh, through this story. So it's not just about basketball. It's about Boogie's family. His mother and his father are at inns. There's a lot of drama there, um, some past hurt, a lot of some poverty, and just the way in which their culture is shows up in this film. Things like showing us what their serving of tea um, routine is. Um, there's little traditions that I was unaware of. Seeing how they worry about being perceived as a different race, whether they're you know Chinese or Taiwanese. So many people are quick to call an Asian American by the wrong ethnicity because we just group them into this bubble. And so we understand through these characters what that's like walking in their shoes. They have to worry about like, is my apartment, does it look too Chinese or you know, does it does it look okay when a recruiter comes over? And they struggle with being called names. Um, they struggle with being known for, as Boogie says at one point in the movie, beef and broccoli. Like, that's all people think of when they think of us. And I, I really enjoyed that part of the film, the drama. I liked – there's parts of the basketball stuff I don't like. There's parts I do like. What I did like is that it takes a non-flashy approach, which is which is weird because I'm all about the like heightened drama when it comes to sports. But this is the high school basketball scene, and it looks like the high school basketball scene. It's like half-filled gyms. It is a lot of layups, and it's, there's not a bunch of dunking, right? And there's just nothing exciting about the action, which I think some people are going to see that as a negative. I found it to be mostly a positive because I felt it made it authentic and grounded. Um, there's a great moment in here of normal high school kid worries where Boogie is with his girlfriend. And all I can say is there's a scene that is going to be a sex scene. And he says something that is incredibly honest and very specific to Asian American concerns that I was shocked that it was in this film, but I thought it, it really put it in perspective for me to see this character who is brash and loud and confident and thinks he's going to be in the NBA. And he's like worried about himself and his body. And I liked that that was in there. I think that there is a great performance here by Pamela and Chi as uh, Boogie Chen's mom. She kind of has to walk this pathos line of like being in a hurtful marriage and a, and a marriage that is just breaking her and then trying to like want the best for her son. And she just does a great job. I think, varying emotions throughout the film and then taylor takashi takahashi uh, and the lead role i thought he was incredibly good for an acting debut i thought that he carried the character as it is written extremely well and so well that it ends up being a negative as one of my dislikes too later on but uh yeah i i, I liked it a lot oh and i like that rucker park gets a nod so there's a moment in this movie that deals with a 
high school or with a basketball street game, and it's very clearly paying homage to New York's famous Rucker Park basketball scene. Yeah, for me, I also love the representation of Asian culture. You know, we get these moments where we see the respect and the honor and discipline that these families used to carry themselves by. There's a scene in the film where we see that Boogie's father, he tells him, hey, you need to say something to this coach. And he gets down pretty much on his knees and apologizes to him. And he says, in my culture, we re- we re- we respect other people. We honor other people. We have discipline. And I really love that representation right there because you often do, do not see that. And if you do see that, it's often kind of told to you, but you never really see a depiction of it. And, you know, I also love the the Asian cuisine we have. Like, for me, I love to eat. So it was good to see um, bowls of ramen noodles, right, in, in, in a part of the scene in the film. That was great. Um, I love the way that it showed the pressures that was um, – that Boogie was constantly under throughout the film. Oftentimes when you see a film about a high school basketball phenom, you kind of see the glittery parts of it. You see that, oh, he's scoring a lot of points. He's winning all these awards. And pretty much it's just all the stakes are all about, okay, which child, which college is he going to choose? Well, in this film, Boogie doesn't even get a scholarship offer. When we see him in the beginning of the film, we're, he's trying to wonder, should I even walk on? Or should I like transfer to this school to try to get a better chance? We're seeing him trying to figure out how he should be able to propel his career forward because he wants to be an NBA star, but he's seeing that even though he's he's talented, it's a, it's a bunch of hard work to try to get to the NBA, even a bunch of hard work just to even get recruited by a top college. So I love that we saw that. I love that we saw how the dysfunction in his household and, you know, the failures of his past generations, all of that is being weighed upon him. His parents tell him, he's like, you're my only son. And we want to make sure that you make it because the cycle hasn't been broken yet. You know, we sacrifice our lives for you. And often in basketball films, we don't see the role of the parents. And sometimes parents who are who are managing the their kids who are athletes, we never really get to see the sacrifices that they have to take on to propel their careers, to help them out. They may have dreams of their own, but they have to put those dreams aside to help their kid reach their dreams. But then also that can lead to a toxicity. And we see that in a couple of moments throughout the film where Boogie's mom, yes, she may have the right intentions for him, but the way she goes about it, it feels like that she's selling her kid off in order for her for her unfulfilled dreams to be accomplished as well. So I'm glad that we saw that. I love the soundtrack. The hip hop soundtrack, there's a mix of uh, Brooklyn Drill and just some common good hip hop in there. I like the fashion, too, in this film as well. Like, I, I was noticing that many of the characters in the film, they were looking fly. Like, some of them had some name brand clothes. I've even seen a girl wearing a Wu-Tang sweater. That was great. Um, One cool thing is that Boogie, at the end or toward the end of the film, he's wearing, I actually noticed this, he's wearing champion sweats. And I thought that yes. was cool because... He's not wealthy. He is not wearing Nike or even Adidas, right? He's not wearing a top brand. He's wearing cha- he's wearing discount Walmart sweats, and I just thought that was a really cool detailed touch. To be fair, though, Champion is, has gone back into prominence now. Now you see, like, entertainers are starting to wear Champion again. Oh, well, <laughs> there goes my <laughs> not authentic band. Ah, forget it. Or, I guess it is authentic still, but maybe not for the reason I thought. Overall, for me, this film... It's more about the stuff off the court than on the court, which is what you don't often see from a basketball fan, which also leads into one of my dislikes later on as well. Well, we'll go ahead and get there. So I think there is 
a bad it's bad timing. It's not necessarily the movie's fault. They make a Jeremy Lin joke. I guess I should have expected that because he's the only real Asian American star that they have to kind of fall back on. Um, and there's some resentment of that. I think, I think that makes sense. The way that they are talking about him in the movie, they call him more of a Jesus freak than an Asian. I guess that probably speaks to how they, how they feel about that. But like, I, they're considering what we just saw in the media from Jeremy Lin within the last week. It just was, it hits at the wrong time. It's not the movie's fault probably, but it was, eh, cause Jeremy Lin just spoke out about the Asian American hate that he faces in the league constantly, even in like the G league. And I was just like, uh, it didn't feel good. The character of Boogie is insufferable. He is for lack of a better term, an asshole. He is selfish and he is not fun to root for. And that was a real struggle for me throughout most of the film. He has some redeeming qualities He's intelligent. He can be respectful when he wants to, to certain people, but the way he treats women, whether it's realistic or not, and it probably is authentic because he's doing it for a very specific reason, but like, man, it just comes off wrong and it's hard to watch. It's what I, it, so it, it makes it difficult to like latch on to the main character and be hopeful for his success. The flip side of the basketball scenes that I was talking about, not being flashy, Boogie is supposed to be a player that is going to get to the NBA that is worthy of being scholarshiped at a top 10 NCAA basketball program. There is nothing about this kid's basketball game that we see that would ever make you think, I told you it's all layups. Like there's nothing. And part of that is in just the way the film's shot. Like it doesn't do anything to make him look like he's a star basketball player. It was honestly silly watching him quote win games by making layups like i just i was like rolling my eyes kind of at like this is your dude who is saving your team or whatever like come on so that was a little annoying and then same thing with uh pop smoke i I don't know why the need to cast a rapper and i and i have to check myself here because we just covered Charm City Kings and Meek Mill is a rapper who was in that film in a very dramatic role and was like my favorite performance of the year. But this, but Pop Smoke, who unfortunately um, was killed tragically in his home about a year ago during a home invasion, um, which is, which is awful, but I almost feel bad criticizing him, but like he doesn't, he's the main rival here. And again, this is like, a completely normal looking dude. There's nothing about this guy that says he is the it guy in New York. He is the man to beat. That is like the big, like he's not a basketball great. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing you see about him that makes you think that. And so that was tough for me watching this as a movie about basketball. Lastly is something I wanted to talk to you about kind of briefly because there is a review that came out by a critic named Robert Daniels. I, I respect him a lot. And I like to read his perspective. He's one of the few, like, very accomplished black critics um, out there at this point. And um, he's been an IndieWire with this newest review. He writes for RogerEber.com. I love his stuff. And he was turned off. He said that part of the issue with the film for him is that it's kind of all about Boogie dealing with his culture and how he is able to play this sport, but yet he is kind of experiencing racism. And yet Boogie 
appropriates black culture at every single turn of who he is and how he approaches the game. And he has to beat the big, bad, not bad, like awful person, but like he has to beat the black guy that is like the king of the court, right? Like something that African-Americans take great pride in being the best at in basketball. And yet in order to, for Boogie to win, he has to conquer that, right? And kind of take it over. And then also with his clothing and the way that he treats his, his black girlfriend. Um, so I, when I read this and I, I looked at the film in hindsight, I realized that it kind of left a little sour taste in my mouth and that he's, he's kind of right. There is some issues there. It didn't make it oh, like an absolute trash for me, but it was something I think that people should consider while they're watching this at least. Going to the Pop Smoke character, my problem really isn't necessarily his performance. My problem is that we don't see enough of him to really see him as a credible threat to Boogie. You know, often in basketball films, if you have a film where you're setting your protagonist against a rival, we we sure get scenes of seeing the rival play basketball and see like, oh, wow, like we should see him doing like scoring 50 on somebody or just like dogging dudes around the court and like being like, okay, this guy's a threat. Like we have to watch out for him. I don't know if this guy can win. But we never really get see get to see scenes of Monk. We only get one one true scene between these guys, which is on a bus, and it's just them like trash talking each other. But otherwise, we don't really get to understand and see why Monk is really the king of the town when it comes to the hardwood. And for me, going to the basketball section of it, if I'm watching a basketball film, I'm sorry, I want to see a lot of I want to see a lot of good basketball. Now, I'm not asking you to show me like an actual professional NBA game, like put it to those standards, but at least make it somewhat exciting, somewhat something I can really take notice in. And this film doesn't really do it. I mean, honestly, like you said, all the boogie does is really just do layups. He does layups. He'll hit a couple threes here and there. But otherwise, there are certain scenes where they reuse the same shot over and over again. Like in the last game, there's a there's a edit where Pop Smoke does a dunk on somebody. Then he comes out and it, it's the exact same dunk. Literally, they just cut it right in before he drives to the basket. And it's like, come on, man. Like, I spotted that. Any bat, real basketball head is going to be able to spot that, too. Boogie and Eleanor's relationship, his girlfriend, felt like it was fast-tracked a little bit. I didn't really get to see much development in them really liking each other. I mean, we see them hang out, but every time they were hanging out, felt like Eleanor was kind of like, dissing him or just not really interested in him and then all of a sudden they're like lovey-dovey and they like each other <laughs> it, it just felt very contrived very superficial i never really bought into the relationship um also for me the story at its core if you take a step back and look at this story tell me that this couldn't be in an nba 2k career mode <laughs> i love <laughs> that when you when i read that in your review i was like oh my gosh that is a hundred percent a great comparison Yes, it just felt like there were some scenes I was like, okay, let me mash the X button really hard so I can skip this cutscene here and there. I mean, it doesn't really do much outside of the – there are some strong themes in here. I'm not going to lie. But if we're going from beginning to finish, the story is not really nothing to put your hat on, and there's not enough of a draw for me to really come back. And otherwise, it would be the basketball scenes that could bring me back to this, but even that doesn't do it for me. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Uh, you know, and I so I I got to I'm torn on this one. Like it's really this is where it's hard for I think you and I who don't rate movies with half stars because this is to me the quintessential two and a half star movie. <laughs> like, you know, I didn't hate it, but I absolutely didn't 
love it or really like it that much either. And so I use like a three star and I, you know, in letterbox, I won't give it, I'll give it a heart if I really think it's good. But if it's kind of like a two and a half, I just leave it with the, without that. So that's kind of where it is for me. So I'm feeling it because I enjoyed basketball and this specific take on the basketball coming up story. I think for anybody that doesn't particularly like that type of genre or story, then it's probably a no, they shouldn't be seeing this. And I would say not feeling it for them. What about you? I'm feeling it, but this is a hard sell, to be honest. I mean, if someone came to me and was like, hey, I know you gave this a good review, but were you really recommending me to watch this? I would be like, proceed with some caution and i probably would might i probably might tell you yes or no depending on the mood my mood that day so it's very iffy for me but i'm feeling it i will say this and i'm guessing you'll probably agree with me right now this is coming to select theaters on march 5th this is not a movie i would suggest you go to a theater for no i would wait a month or two until it hits video on demand and then rent it for a few bucks and i think that's where this movie has potential for people All right, next up in our list, moving right along, is Boss Level, a movie that had like almost no promotional material. I found out about this, I think, Tuesday of this week, maybe Monday, and I like real quickly tried to throw it on our schedule and get copies of it for us to review because it's about video games, essentially, and time loops, and those are things I love. It stars Frank Grillo, Mel Gibson, Naomi Watts, Annabelle Wallace, Ken Jeong, Michelle Yeoh and Selena Lowe, among others. It is directed by Joe Carnahan and written by Chris Borey, Eddie Borey, and Joe Carnahan. What's it about? A retired military operative finds himself in a never-ending time loop on the day of his death. That's pretty generic, so maybe you can give us a little bit more with your likes for this one, Coles. Frank Grillo, he clearly is invested in this material. I mean, this would be a film that otherwise most people would kind of phone it in, but he's not phoning it in in this. He really believes in the scrape, the scrap heap of this story. I mean, because it's very basic and it shouldn't work, but Frank Grillo does his best to try and make it work. I mean, he has the presence. He's known for being an action guy, so he brings some of his skill, his rugged skills into that department. And I will admit that some of the hijinks they do with the action set pieces are a little bit entertaining and fun. It, it reminds me a little bit of Happy Death Day, but the action film version of it. And, of course, I love me some Groundhog Day time loops, if you put that in the film. Otherwise, I have much more to say for the dislikes than the likes. <laughs> yeah, I knew that coming in, so I just wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, yeah, this is, again, I think a very niche type of movie. And I would even say very specifically, like, if you like time loop films, but you also are kind of a gamer or the people that really are going to fall for this are Joe Carnahan fans, because it's very Joe Carnahan. It is macho, macho, macho uh, to a fault. I'm sure we'll talk about. I agree. It's Grillo's party and he is having a ton of fun. And I love him getting to kind of have this vehicle to go nuts and be the lead. I think he's great. I really like Selena Lowe. She is a British actress. She plays like a samurai in this. She has a hilarious line of dialogue that she uses over and over again that just has me rolling every time she says it. And there's a great moment where Frank Grillo gets to kind of 
come back at her with her own line that is just like maybe my favorite movie moment for this one. It's awesome. I didn't know who she was and she hasn't been a lot. I hope she gets more work because I just thought she was phenomenal. Uh, I thought I really she had, she had a presence to her. The story does take a while to get going, I think. But once we get into like the point where he's starting to go through each loop and learn something each day and get a little bit further, it becomes very video game. Like he's trying to kill a certain guy a certain way. He's trying to kill them and get farther than he did before. And so he'll, you know, quote, get to the next level and then he'll come up an elevator and people will be waiting for him outside the elevator. And so now the next run, the next day, he has to plan accordingly to be waiting for the people outside the elevator and check all of these different elements. So it very much is like a video game in that regard. Uh, and I really enjoyed that part of it. My favorite thing, it, it does have some clever writing at times. It also has some cringe writing, but the, there's an, oh, there's a, an, an awesome lengthy badass action sequence. I don't think that all the action is great, but there is one awesome scene that goes on for a while and it is set to, uh, Boston's song called long time which I think is appropriate both from a lyrical standpoint, but also just, I love that song. And it's a really cool kind of old seventies, you know, rock choice for an action sequence in this type of movie that I was not expecting, but it really worked for me. The best thing about this movie for me and the one that really, I think made it stand out and be something that I would rewatch and, you know, happily go back to is the emotionality of the story. It's not just about a guy who is an ex-cop fighting military dudes and over-the-top villains and baddies. There is a part of the story that has Roy, the character Frank Grillo plays, wanting to be a father, dealing with having an ex-wife that he's still in love with, not being able to be there for them. And his son is actually playing his son in the movie, and I think he does a really good job of, with his dad, creating just it brings the story down some and instead of keeping it at a 10 at all times it slows it just enough and it gives me reason to care about the character in a way that i would not have otherwise not even close and i i want him to succeed and i I want that for his family i want something for this group of people um and so i really like that about it Uh, my dumbs are i'll let you go with your dislikes last since you have more than i do the sense of humor in the writing, as I mentioned, it can be cringy. There's parts of this Joe Carnahan writing. It's it's very childish. It is very dumb. Um, and I just don't like it at all. I think that it underuses the supporting cast at times. Mel Gibson in particular is really great as like the big bad villain, but he's there like for three or four scenes and that's it. We get one really good one with him when they have like a standoff, but he just isn't in it much and I think that you could have used him and done a lot more with him. And the opening bits of the film are a good long 10, 15, 20 minutes, I think, to get it really going. And there's between that and then intermittent parts of this, there's a ton of like Frank Grillo narration where he is very Deadpool-like, almost like Deadpool's meta fourth wall breaking where Frank Grillo is telling you everything that is happening on the screen which I hate. I just, I absolutely despise it. It's 
dumb. It makes no sense. I'm seeing it happen. I don't need you to describe what's happening because I'm watching it. You know what I mean? And I just, I think that that is such a weird, lazy thing that I I don't know who likes that out there. I've never seen anybody tell me they love that, but I certainly don't. And so that was a drawback for me. But overall, I definitely enjoyed it, I guess, more than you did. So what did you not like? The visuals are a major eyesore. Just constantly seeing these explosions just just like generate into just like a goblin ball of smoke just set me off the wrong way. Like even during when people are getting shot, it just felt like the blood looked like exploding packets of, of red smoke. It even looked like real blood. And then, of course, the times where we do see things happening to people's bodies like Frank Grillo's. I mean, it, it's very cheap looking. You know, it, it's kind of a ugly film to watch, which is hard to say for most action films because action films. If you want to get the action right, you want your film to look good. I mean, we can say all we want to about the criticisms for Michael Bay films, but one thing I can never take away is that they look amazing from a cinematography standpoint. And this film just looks very lifeless on that aspect. The humor, like you said, is very cringy. Um, there's a lack of interesting supporting characters. I, I really don't understand, like, how do you have somebody like Naomi watching your film and you utilize her in such a shorthanded way? Yeah, her character really doesn't add anything except just being a prop for Frank Grillo to use as a way for him to understand how he needs to be a better father, how he needs to be a better husband, how he needs to be there for his family. For you, I, I'm sure that you were able to feel emotionally attached to that, and I don't blame you for that. But for me, it felt superficial to me, especially the relationship between Frank Grillo and the kid in the film. I don't know, man. This I hate doggone kid actors. I really do. But this kid actor just looked just out of his league, especially when it came to the dramatic scenes. There's one scene where this is not really a spoiler because it's established that he keeps dying. So he has to figure out what's in the time loop. But there's a part where he does get killed right in front of this kid. And just this kid, like if your father was killed in front of you, you would have like a much bigger jarring reaction to it. And he just kind of stands there and looks like he's in outer space or something. I mean, it, it... it just felt really generic to me just how they tried to put in that father and dad relationship and maybe because i'm i'm not a parent maybe it didn't hit harder for me like it should have like it would for you um mel gibson you have mel gibson in your film and he's in here shorter than what hannibal lecter was for silence of the lambs like i think mel gibson was only in here for like nine or ten minutes and he's supposed to be the big big bad villain and we do get that one great scene towards the end where he's in there but otherwise he's out of sight, out of mind. I, I I couldn't really I couldn't really buy into Frank Grillo that's really wanting to kill this guy when I don't see that much of him. And also the use of just these songs that had the concept of time in it. Like, yes, the songs are good, but it's just obvious that these needle drops are just there to support the film. Like, hey guys, you know, this song has to do with time. So that's why we're putting it right in here. And the action, some of the fight choreography is just it almost seems like it's just like rehearsed fight choreography. Like no one's putting their heart into it. Just people are just going through the motions, doing the kicks and the punches and everything. I was more in line for just seeing more gun battles and seeing the, the hand to hand combat because it's sickly looking (laughs) for me. This is just a film that I could understand why people are going to enjoy this. But for me, I've seen this concept done better in other films. And this just felt like kind of a disappointment to me. I hate to ask this, but are you feeling it? <laughs> Not feeling it. No. <laughs> uh, well, I am. I'm feeling it. Uh, so I say if you are like me and you enjoy time loops and 
the stuff that you get from this that I mentioned. I don't know. Take pick one of our sides and make your choice. It's streaming on Hulu on March 5th, and you can make your decision tomorrow. <laughs> Moving on from that, because there's no reason to spend more time discussing it. Uh, the next two films, we are actually going to be pretty short on these. I think we're not going to get really in-depth at all. And the reason is because these are our two next main episodes of the Feelin' Film Podcast. So we're going to do full spoiler reviews of both of these where we get into their themes and such. Um, so we we hope you'll come back for those as well. Raya and the Last Dragon, Disney's newest animated film. This stars Kelly Marie Tran, Aquafina, Isaac Wang, Gemma Chan, Daniel Dai Kim, Benedict Wong, Sandra Oh, Jonas Zhao, and Alan Tudyk. It is directed by Don Hall, Carlos Lopez Estrada, Paul Briggs, and John Rippa, and Queen Nguyen and Adele Lim. Yes, you saw that correctly. So this film has like eight to ten directors and writers. And that is incredibly crazy. There are more people that I didn't even list. And I thought it was nuts when I saw it. How does that play into it? I don't know. But I just was shocked. And maybe in the production history, we need to go into that before we get into the, the deeper podcast when we do it. What's this one about? In a realm known as Kumandra, shaped like a dragon, a reimagined earth inhabited by an ancient civilization, a warrior named Rhea is determined to find the last dragon. All right, we're probably going to intermittently say Raya and Raya. It is what it is. Just putting that out there now so that nobody comes back and like slams us for it. <laughs> Coles, uh, why don't you start with what you liked about this one? I think we should sign a petition to get um, petition to get Kelly Marie Tran and Aquafina in a film together, live action, because I love their chemistry. I love the way they played off each other, even though it's just animation and voice acting. I felt like they really got that partnership down that's established between their two characters in the film i also love the animation i mean what can you, if you're going to list out the positives of a disney film how can you not point out the animation i mean it looks gorgeous it's lush you know i especially love some of the um wasteland scenes where we're seeing raya going through a desert wasteland kind of gave me some western vibes almost like a 60s clint eastwood film i like that um i love that even though I might get some flack for it, I did love that there was, like, not any music in this film. You know, I kind of liked that the film just kind of was able to go off on the story and not really interrupt with any songs or anything like that. Which, you know, otherwise, I mean, I love Disney songs. I mean, of course, you're going to see me saying, um, I'm going to make a man out of you from Mulan any day of the week. Yes, but I love that this film just took the course of just really trying to get his message across without any songs. And the message, you know, of people in society learn to trust each other not being divided by short matters like learning how to live in peace and harmony amongst each other it's a great message and it's a timely message for right now yeah agreed i love the messages in the film i think that they are incredibly strong and and like you said they are timely uh and i think that they are presented to us in a way that kids can understand and in a way that adults can look at and go, oh, maybe I need to reflect on that myself. It is derivative. It is repetitive, if you will. It is not incredibly new with the way that the story progresses. But because of how it's told to us, I had not a lot of problems with that. 
I loved, in addition to what you just said, I love the lore. The world building was awesome, especially in the opening sequences when we're kind of understanding what, how the different tribes work in this world and the dragons. It's not, it never goes super deep into it once we get on the road trip portion of the film, the adventure story, but it left me wanting more. It, it was the kind of film that by the end of it, I was like, oh, that dragon does this? Well, what about other dragons? Like, I want to see what the other dragons do. And so I kind of wanted more. And I would like to see this world, like, expanded upon, which I think is a really strong quality of a Disney film. The structure, just, it's an adventure movie. You know, it's got this feel from going from location to location, like you're globetrotting, because each unique tribe lives in a different way and they deal with the circumstances of the world that is around them with a different approach. And they're retrieving these important artifacts and treasures from each various place, these dragon gems and other things. So it's just, I, I really like that. I like seeing how the different cultures formed when the human world got kind of broken apart and then had to come back. Um, I think Kelly Marie, Marie Tran is amazing in this film, people who saw me in the podcast group probably don't think I think that because of my comment. But what I was trying to say was we were having a thread where you had posted something about how hopefully this will erase some of the bad will that Star Wars fans gave to, toward her. And I would agree wholeheartedly. I unfortunately think that this isn't going to quite get her to where we need her to be because it's just an animated voice performance. It is outstanding, but people aren't going to give enough credit as it should be. Um, so I, I'm with you. I'd say 100%, like, let's get her in something live action because obviously, you know, she can handle that uh, very well. So I liked that. I think it's visually gorgeous. I'm bummed that we were both unable to make it to the screening. Uh, here in Seattle, this was the first film that we screened for press in a year since the theaters got shut down for COVID. And it was a last minute thing and neither one of us could make it. But I would absolutely go see this in a big screen environment if I could. And I would say if you're comfortable with that and your theaters are open where you live, then that's probably what you should definitely do because it is a beautifully animated film for sure. Dislikes, uh, I'll nail mine real quick. So my big one is Aquafina, And I think Aquafina at times in this film is really good and I agree with the chemistry and I think she can hit on some emotional beats that are outstanding and really remind me of the notes that she was able to get from the farewell. But there's a lot of like Aquafina's personality written into this dragon and it is, I don't think it's the best choice for this, this dragon character. There are times when Disney and maybe this is because there's like 18 writers but like they just couldn't help themselves and they say things like bling and Captain Poppenlock and there's just these modern things thrown into this fantastical mythological world out of nowhere and it, and it feels like it brings me out of that fantasy somewhat. I did not like that at all. I thought that Aquafina's humor just kind of was in conflict with the epic nature of the world. And I would have liked a, a Sisu, the dragon, that was a, a little less silly in the way that they had humor. 
Um, it's a very typical Disney sidekick kind of performance for the most part. Now, again, it saves itself because there's some emotional stuff that happens with this dragon that really resonates kind of honestly like akin to what the genie ends up being. You know, I'm not comparing those two performances, but the genie is very silly. And then ultimately you is going to have some scenes with Aladdin where you're like, oh, my gosh. And I do get that eventually from this character. So it works out kind of in the end, but, you know, frustrating at times. And again, it just the the nature of it being nothing spectacular with the story. Like there's a struggle as to how much you're going to remember this when it's over. Where she went and what does each tribe do? I'm not sure yet, honestly, Coles, and I'm excited to get to rewatch this before we dive into it over the weekend, because I think that's going to solidify me in the love camp, which I'm on the border of right now, or in the, like, it's kind of just a mediocre, average, really well animated, good, normally, you know, Disney film. So we'll find out uh, by the end of this next week. But for you, what did you not like about this one? For me, it's the constant hammering down on the messages of the film. I mean, this film is not really subtle with what it's talking about. I mean, there's so many scenes where we're on an adventure, we're on a ride, and then you hear a character come to one another like, hey, it's not good to be jealous to one another. It's not good to be selfish. Like, you have to trust me. Like, it's like constantly pounding on your head, like, what the film is trying to get you to feel. And I kind of would like for a little bit less to be shown and more to be written into the subtext of the film so I can feel it on my own as a viewer. Uh, also, the bit of controversy with this film, I wanted to touch on it. This film is supposed to take place in a fictional land that represents Southeast Asia, but in the cast itself, there's not a lot of Southeast Asian representation. Most of the actors in this film are from East Asia, and I'm not going to say that's a bad thing because, hey, Asian representation is always great in my book, especially right now for the treatment they are getting due to the coronavirus pandemic, which is unfair. But if you're going to set a film in a certain land, it would be nice to have people who are actually from that land to do the voice and the characters to make it real and authentic. Uh, also, I'm going to your point, the expansion of the world. It felt like in the beginning, they try to give you this bit kind of exposition uh, scene where they try to explain everything that's happening and then boom, you're going to the real story. But it's like, no, I just want, I want to know more about these trials i want to know more about the land i want to know more about how it was back during the back during 500 years ago before the events of the story take place there's a there's a lot of meat from this film that should be added instead of cut and it felt like that they cut a lot of it for who knows for what reason maybe on the rewatch i can come to be comfortable with those gripes but i just can't get past them all right. Well, it's going to be a good podcast either way. I'm excited. I think there's a lot of stuff to pull out of this one from the themes perspective. And so it's going to be fun to talk through that. And like I said, it'll be fun to see how we feel about it after a second watch as well. So are you feeling it overall right now? Oh, I'm feeling it. Absolutely. Me too. I am feeling it. I'm going to ask you another hard question, though. Are you feeling it enough to pay $30 for it? No. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's It would be... Your film has to be at least five-star worthy for me to pay $30 for it. Because other than that, I'm just going to wait two or three months for it to hit the Disney Plus app. <laughs> yep. I, so I'm with you. I don't think I would drop my $30 even for a, fa you know, for a family to watch this immediately. I don't think there's – unless you're like absolutely aching for new content, 
I mean, you can wait two, three months and it's going to be on that same app for free. So I don't think it's that good uh, by any means. It will be in select theaters, though. Like I said, I would highly recommend that if you're up for it. And it will be streaming on Disney Plus with that premiere access, just like Mulan did for $30 on March 5th. And come back on next Monday morning for our full episode when we cover this one on the podcast. The next one is the film that we will be covering after Raya a week later, and that is Chaos Walking. It is actually real. Uh, it came out, guys, and we've seen it. <laughs> like, shocking, I know. But this one stars Tom Holland, Daisy Ridley, Demian uh, Bashir, David Oyelo, Kurt Sutter, Cynthia Erivo, Mads Mikkelsen, Nick Jonas, and Ray McKinnon. It is directed by Doug Lyman and written by Christopher Ford and based on the young adult novel The Knife of Never Letting Go by Patrick Ness, who also helped with the screenplay. What's it about? In the not-too-distant future, Todd Hewitt discovers Viola, a mysterious girl who crash lands on his planet, where all the women have disappeared and the men are afflicted by the noise, a force that puts all of their thoughts on display. In this dangerous landscape, Viola's life is threatened, and as Todd vows to protect her, he will have to discover his own inner power and unlock the planet's dark secrets. All right, Coles, what did you like about Chaos Walking? The strong thematic messages. There's messages in here that are pertaining to not just men, but also to women. You know, some of the story can be seen as kind of a feminist film, you know, where we talk about the metaphorical silence of women in a patriarchal society i love that aspect of the story i also love how we do get to see that these thoughts are out in the open and are visually seen and how a character is battling within to contain his thoughts to contain the noise within him to not show his hand for people to judge him or to read his um his own mind and we see during tom holland's journey how he's able to feel comfortable with let with letting himself be vulnerable in front of other people. Cause you know, he's been taught by other men to not let other people know what you're talking about, not let other people know what your feelings are. He's having to battle with that throughout the whole film. I love also the action. The action is not like awesome, but it's, it's solid. It's solid. You know, I love the, you know, the chase sequences. I especially love the, um, in battle scene that we get a little mini battle and, I also love the visuals as well. It kind of sucked that we were watching this mostly from a streaming copy because for the visuals alone, I probably would think this would be a good film to see in an IMAX film, you know, or see to see on a big screen. So I love that as well. And I did like that. Even though the story takes a little bit time for it to get going, I did like what it was eventually able to bring for a person like me who is new to this, um, to these trilogy of books that were written, I had never read anything. I had never heard of the plot synopsis of this film. And I was able to come in and able to really get a general understanding of what this post-apocalyptic world was. And it's a different take on that genre. You know, oftentimes we see the we see we're on Earth. But in this film, we see that the people have left from Earth. And they're going to these different planets in the galaxy to try to find a new way to make a home. So I love that new wrinkle that they add to the doomsday genre. Well, that's good to hear. I was really curious how it would play for someone who had not read the books. Um, I have read the books, and I actually am a pretty big fan of the trilogy. I think it's really fantastic. And so I've been tracking this movie for years uh, when it was in development. 
and it went through all sorts of hell and just rewrites and all kinds of like reshoots and crazy stuff. So we were shocked that it actually eventually came out, but they salvaged it uh, for the most part. And that is my number one like is that they salvaged it. They made it into a film that is watchable, which a lot of times doesn't happen. I actually thought the same thing about New Mutants last year. I thought it was salvaged pretty well, too, and I enjoyed watching it and thought that that film didn't exist. It was it and Chaos Walking were like just these like fake movies that were never going to come out. But here we are. I think that the ambiguity of the story is handled well. And so, you know, for me, it does work as well, keeping us in the dark about who is telling the truth, who is to be trusted and who is not. That's a big part of this story is you don't know because Todd doesn't know you're Todd and Todd is walking through this world and he knows what he's been told by his uh, parents. He knows what he's been told by the mayor of the town and he starts discovering all of these mistruths and he, he don't know who to believe and what, what is accurate and who's responsible for, you know, the, the horrific atrocity of making the women disappear and I like that it keeps you guessing up until the end of the film and like wondering who to put your allegiances with, essentially. So I really enjoy like going on that journey. It is, like you said, one long chase adventure, just like the book is. And so I thought that that was handled well. Doug Lyman and uh, Fedor Alvarez, I believe his name is, is the person who did the reshoots. So both of them are really responsible for, you know, making the action land in a way like when they're running through the woods and stuff it's very energetic the marco beltrami score is like high energy keeps the pacing and the heartbeat pumping and i think that's a good choice because it helps distract somewhat from the shallowness of the plot in my opinion um dialogue wise script wise it condenses a lot of events from the book and yet most of what happens is here up until the ending. The ending is very different. And we're going to talk about that in detail once we get to the main podcast episode on this. Because I want to know, obviously, whether you like this ending or the one that I'm going to tell you about later uh, better. So there's that. That was hard for me. Just I try not to be a book purist, but it's a special, impactful story for me because of the way that it goes. And this doesn't do it for me. And so I didn't, I don't know how I feel about the ending. I need to sit with it a little bit longer just know that it's not the book ending for those of you listening that have read it. It's different, um, which is not that dissimilar. I mean, lots of films do that, right? So I think that the performances are solid. Uh, this is actually work that was done a long time ago. And I just think that that needs to be kept in mind. This is not Tom Holland from today and Daisy Ridley from today. <laughs> These were filmed years ago, really, um, at the you know beginning of like Spider-Man and Star Wars time is when this movie started getting shot. So I think that that shows up as well. Um, some of their talent shines through, but it's not necessarily them at their peak either. It's got a great cast of side characters that are in this and exist in this world. And I liked that about it. Um, and overall, it's just, like I said, it was just an enjoyable sci-fi adventure of a story that I really like. And I think has a lot of like value to unpack, as you mentioned with regards to feminism and like 
what it means to be silenced and what it means to have your thoughts on display and stuff. That's going to be fun for us to talk through. I'll start what I didn't like. I was worried from the very beginning that the noise was way too abstract of a concept to work in the cinema. And I feel a hundred percent like it did. It's still way too abstract of a concept to work well in cinema. I, unlike you, like, I don't think it looks that great. And I think that it can be really goofy with these floating colorful clouds around their heads and everyone constantly talking in narration. It's a struggle. My issue is that it starts the movie that way. More than anything, there are moments where the noise works really, really cool. Like they can make projections like a snake or like a wall or a fence around someone. It can be really amazing what the noise can accomplish when they're projecting their thoughts. But we don't get those. At the beginning, we start with like a, just a ton of noise. And there's, you're walking, you're living in a world of just men. And so everybody has it. And so it's just clouds over everybody's head. And it can be really annoying and confusing and hard to like understand what's going on. It's just, you know, a smattering of words. So I, I'm torn because I didn't enjoy that. And it was not that pleasing. But it also is accurate. And it's depicting well the concept right because these characters that's how they would be feeling walking around in a world where all you do is constantly hear and see the thoughts of everybody around you so it's it's a hit or miss for me manchi the dog in the book all the animals talk and the animals have noise and manchi and todd have a relationship coalesce that is special to me and he doesn't talk that's all i'm gonna say right now he doesn't talk and that made me very sad the Zealot performance and role by David Oyelowo's character of Aaron, I think in the book makes a lot more sense. It in here it comes off as way too hokey, and I think it just feels out of place in the main narrative as it's depicted. Uh, and then there's just no resolution for a lot of the things that happen in this movie. There's an alien race called the Spackle that they show up once and they're like that's it i mean they're gone like this what okay cynthia rivio's character she shows up for like a hot minute and a cup of coffee and then there's no resolution to what happens to her or her characters and where she lives and davy jr the son of mayor prentice uh, played by nick jonas he's he's got a huge role in the books and like he shows up and the first half of the film and then he just kind of like evaporates into thin air and just it felt like they didn't know how to end it or maybe they didn't want to do more reshoots or whatever but for me i just really lacked a, a full resolution of everything in the film that would have made it work better for me and made it something like memorable um and lasting so that's my dislikes what about you for me early in the film when you do have where you're going into Apprentice Town and you see that all of these guys have these halos around their head, these different aura colors around them, and you see their thoughts smashing together. It was very hard to understand, and it made me want to have some subtitles. Like, I wish I had a subtitle option, because some of the dialogue was very hard to catch early in this film, and it made me kind of confused at points. It's like, am I missing something for the story? Am I supposed to know what he's talking about? But... It felt like the, either the actors were speaking a little bit too low or maybe they were just mumbling and I couldn't decipher exactly what they were saying if it was actual real speech. So I don't know if that's maybe something that's a part of the book. 
I, I don't know what was going on with that. The other thing is that it felt like this movie was trying to head itself, it's trying to prepare itself up for a sequel. There's a lot of information they do give you about this world, but then there's a lot of things that are withholding from you as well. You know what? We never really get the sense of why Earth was destroyed in the first place. We also never really understand, okay, like, they explain to you what happens with the women in this environment, but it felt just kind of like it's summed up in like two short sentences and that's it. Um, Daisy, Daisy Ridley's character. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right, but her character, I thought she was going to have more of an impact in the story, but she doesn't really do much of anything except offer some words of advice here and there. And her and the chemistry between her and Holland is not established very well either. And like you said before, the ending just really kind of has no resolution. It just made me wonder, like, are they just saving up their big goodies and big guns for a new film? Or is this the best way they could come up with a conclusion? Yep. Yep. I agree. I'm hoping it plays better on a rewatch. Uh, really am. But I, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I still think that, like I said, the themes of the movie and the idea of the story is worth talking about. And that's why we're going to do our full episode on it. And it's, one of the closest things to any sort of blockbuster type of filmmaking that we've gotten in forever, whether it's a really great one or just a middling one, it's at least something. <laughs> so that's fun. Um, are you feeling it? Would you tell people to go check it out in a theater? I'm feeling it, but it's a, it's a tight, it's a thin line. I'm standing on ice. This is a feeling it, feeling it standing on ice. That's why I can give it. I'm saying feeling it too. And I, largely because it's not the dumpster fire that it could have been. And so for that alone, I say, let's support it. Let's say good job, Hollywood, for making something at least watchable out of this. And, you know, maybe again, it gets better on rewatches, which many films do. This will be available in select theaters on March the 5th, but it will also be streaming on premium VOD beginning on April 2nd. So you won't have to wait long if you can't get to a theater before you can watch it for yourself at home. Well, that's all for us this time on an extended episode of FF+. Plus. We hope you found something that piqued your interest, and we would love to hear what you think when you see some of the films that we talked about. So hit us up on Twitter, at Feelin' Film, or at Black Nerd Magic, or just join the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group. There's a link in every episode's show notes, and we will be back soon. But until then, keep Feelin' Film. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.